0: what's up everybody how you doing this afternoon you guys been enjoying yourself great my name's scott bledsoe and i pastor in louisiana but really my job today is to introduce your speaker for the session today which is pastor chad blancett um just to tell you a little bit about him um he and his family moved to republic missouri 2005 and if you don't know where republic missouri is i didn't either so i looked And it's uh, just north of uh, Branson, Missouri. So maybe you've been there just north of Branson, Missouri. And so in 2006, they launched Destiny Church. Fifty people, I believe, at that first first meeting. They, of course, have since grown to touching thousands of lives and uh, three campuses. And um, I I got to meet uh, Chad on a trip, a pastor's trip to Africa with Children's Cup. I don't know, that was probably five years ago. And so, uh, man, we just had a great time, and and uh, I know he's got a heart for God. I found that out firsthand on the trip. No, know he's got a heart for people, and then, of course, he's got a heart for the world. And so, come on, won't you give it up? You're going to enjoy Pastor Chad Blancett today.
1: Hey, good afternoon. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Well, the title is Are You Healthy? So um, I don't know if everybody came to do Zumba or something like that, but that's, uh, that's not what we're going to do today. And uh, so I had them throw a little description on the app because I was like, "Man, I don't know if people are going to show up in sweatpants and ready for some getting down to the oldies." But hey, I am. My name's Chad Blancett and uh, my wife and I started our church 12 years ago, and uh, now we have multiple campuses. And uh, my wife was coming on this trip. But uh, we sold our house, we're actually starting to build, and we sold our house, um, and we closed Monday, and uh, and then she flies out tomorrow to go speak at a women's event in San Diego, and so trying to get our kids settled, she's like, I am not going with you, so I uh, have my executive pastor, he's staying in the back, uh, Scott Kirby and a couple other staff members here, and then actually my in-laws are actually sitting in the room in the back row, and so this is my wife's uh, wonderful parents, and uh, they look like they're about 18 and 19, but um, they're here, hanging out and uh, any way you can get brownie points and things like that with the in-laws is is a good. It works. It works. It works. Hey, let's get right into it. And um, this this session is going to be this is a it's kind of a raw session, and uh, we're going to get real. We're going to talk about something I'm super passionate about. And uh, I'm very. I'm very. Let me just start off. I'm very concerned about the church. Um, I'm a I'm a fifth generation pastors kid. Um, Last thing in the world I ever wanted to do uh, was be in ministry. Um, I saw the damage it did to family members and friends, and uh, so I I never really wanted to do ministry. I remember 12 years old, my youth pastor uh, from New York picked me up one day. Literally, if if a youth pastor did this today, they're probably going to get in trouble. But picked me up by my collar and pinned me up against a wall, and uh, he looked at me and said, "When are you going to ever accept the call of God on your life?" And I said, "I'll never be a preacher." And uh, I learned you never tell God never. How many of you have ever said never and you'd ended up doing that? But uh, I'm just, I'm concerned about not only the church right now, but I'm concerned about the future of the church. There's a lot of things happening in the church that uh, I love, and, uh, but there's a lot of things happening in the church that I'm concerned about. And uh, to the ca- casual observer, though, looking at the church, you might look at it and everything looks good. Um, especially, you come to an art conference, and I mean, it's just inspiring to see what God is doing, and to the casual outside observer, you look, and there's churches that are breaking uh, records every single weekend. Parachurch ministries are just killing it. Um, outside, things like that, and the church is just, you look at the church, and it's just exploding. We're breaking record numbers. We're planting record numbers of churches, and things look good. Things look successful. But uh, on the inside, though, is where I'm beginning to find some concern with some things that are happening in the church. Uh, I think on the inside, on the outside, maybe we look successful, but on the inside, I think maybe we're dying. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 8 verse 36 says, what good does it do for people if we gain the whole world, yet we lose our own souls? And this became very real for me in the past few years and uh, I'm going to get into some things and talk to you about some things I've discovered about health, but I want to take just a moment, and I just want to share with you a little bit of my story, and uh, um, it's just, it's an emotional story, um, but maybe you can connect. Um, I I was talking to my wife just before I walked in here, and I said, have you told your parents all my story, and she said no, and I said, well, they're getting ready to hear it, and uh, so they're going to hear just with you guys, but about two and a half, three years ago, I'll be 43 years old this June. I know I don't look at, I know I look much younger, but I'll be 43 this June on June 19th is when I turned 43. So two and a half years ago, almost three, four years ago, really June 19th uh, on my 40th birthday, I'd been telling my wife leading up to it that when January one rolled around, I said, man, turning 40 has got me scared. And, uh, I'm like, something is bothering me. Something is off. And she's like, ah, oh, it's just 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 another year. And I'm like, no, something's not right. Something is clicking in my brain, and I'm terrified. And I was telling my friends, I said, man, I'm not, I'm not enjoying the feelings I have as I'm approaching 40. And uh, I was out of town the week leading up to my birthday. I was at Refuge Foundation with uh, Pastor Greg and some friends and uh, fishing. And the whole week, I was like, man, I, something is something's off. And I got home. On June 19th, my wife threw a party uh, for me, and some friends were over, and we're sitting around the fire pit in our backyard. And 9 p.m. I'll never forget it. 9 p.m. on June 19th, my 40th birthday. It was like a dark black cloud set on top of me, and I immediately went in. I immediately went into depression, and I mean it overwhelmed me. Um, friends would try to talk to me and say, "What's it feel like? What's it? What's it like?" And I said, "I can't describe it. It's literally like a demonic." thing that just sets on top of me and I, I couldn't I couldn't get over it I couldn't fight through it I would use every scripture I, I would do everything I could but I was struggling. I immediately became suicidal um, found myself on multiple occasions with a gun in my hand um, trying to take my life. Church is successful uh, four kids, a beautiful wife, beautiful family, great friends, great staff. everything around me is completely healthy. I have no reason in the world to be feeling the things I'm feeling. I have no reason to feel discouraged and depressed, but literally discouraged, depressed, like a black cloud sitting on top of me. Um, I remember one occasion, my wife and I wrestled in our garage, literally, she's fighting with me, and I grabbed the gun, and I look at her, and I said, tell my kids I love them, and I left, and uh, found myself sitting in a cemetery, uh, waiting to take my life, just sitting there and wrestling with it, I knew I couldn't do it, I knew I could not commit suicide, but it felt like the only solution, and there was just this voice telling me I had to do it. Another occasion, I found myself sitting on the train tracks. Um, called My executive pastor called him, said, hey, tell my wife, tell my friends, tell everybody I love them, and uh, I'll never be back. And I, meet, and I turned my phone, I locator services off, all of that, and just I tried to go into hiding. And my church had no clue. My church had no clue that none of this was happening. On the outside, everything looked good. On the outside, we were successful, uh, new campuses, and like I said, incredible staff making a name for our church, uh, for our church and our city. I mean, everything looked good. My kids had no idea. My staff had no idea. my in-laws didn't know, my parents didn't know. My wife put up a shield kind of around me and did everything she could to protect me. Um, it wasn't until we started talking about it and went to some staff and said, "Man, here's where I am. And uh, I remember one occasion I left, and she she uh, she called my parents and said, I can't fight this battle on my own anymore. Called my parents. I got home from being gone for, for quite some time. Got home. My parents were sitting in my living room. And uh, so we got to talk. We got to figure this out. And that was kind of the beginning of this healing process for me. It kind of opened my eyes. It didn't. None of it stopped. The, I would go good three or four days, and I'd feel great, and I'd think, okay, I'm past it. And then it set back in, and Tasha, my wife, she could always tell. She could always see it. She could say, don't go there. Don't go there. I said, what? And she said, I can see it in your eyes. And I said, no, I'm good. She said, no, it's coming. And it would just set in, and just this incredible dark cloud, this depression that just would overwhelm me. And uh, I eventually went to our staff and sat down. and became very honest with my staff and told them about it. And then I sat down with my management team at my church and told them about it and then i went and sat down in my and stood in front of my entire church and told them my story they had no idea um preaching healthy life giving messages lives are being touched lives are being changed i was i was one person on sunday morning on the stage but i was somebody else at home i was withdrawn from my kids withdrawn from friends um withdrawn from my staff i'd go sit in my office and shut my door and lock it i didn't want anybody around me i just wanted to be alone and uh it was, just an, it was just a horrible, horrible time. So I told my management team about it. They immediately said, we're going to rescue our pastor. And uh, they said, whatever the cost, we're going to help you get fixed. We're going to figure it out. And they sent me to a psychiatrist actually in our, in our town. And I went and sat down with him. And uh, he said, tell me what's going on. And I said, I have no idea. I said, I can't describe it. I said, I don't understand. I said, there's no reason for me to feel the way that I feel. No reason in the world. Everything is good. And he said, he, and so we started talking. He said, well, tell me a little bit about your life. And so I started talking to him about my life. And he traced something back, and this, this takes back even a little further. This helps you kind of figure out where I am and how this all led up to it. He said, let's go back. And he said, what happened in your life? And I went back 17 years, and I was married once before. And my first wife had a severe brain hemorrhage six days after my daughter was born. And... Um, and I never got any healing from that um she 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 died on the operating table uh we prayed she came back to life um, I, I i was it was just this place of i never needed God for anything psalms twenty three is my scripture the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want that's where psalms twenty three ended for me and then I came to this place where I found myself walking through dark valleys, and I needed the lord and and just this horrible place. Well, my ex-wife, she is in a vegetative comatose state, um, trying to raise a daughter, um, not getting any better, not my ex-wife not getting healthier, getting worse, um, go, go to a rehabilitation hospital in Columbia, Missouri, where they start to do some therapy on her. I walk in. We're six weeks into this experience. The doctor walks up to me and pulls me aside and says, hey, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm an Assembly of God um, board member at my church. He's one of the world-renowned brain surgeons. And uh, he says, I'm an Assembly of God deacon at a church. He said, can I pray for you every day? And I said, yes. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, at two years, if she's not better, he said, you're going to have a decision to make. He said, because after two years, there will be no miracle. And I said, okay. And I claimed every day there was going to be a miracle. Every day, we believed that there'd be a miracle that she'd be healed, and nothing ever came. Two years, still in this vegetative state. Um, won't go into all the details. I'm working on writing a book on it, trying to figure that out, trying to release some of the pain there, and write a book about it. But two years come, and no change. And I um, go back to the hospital where he is. We're we've been home for a month and a year and a half now. We stayed there for six months home a year and a half. We go back for a two-year checkup. He pulls me aside, and he said, you remember what I told you the first time I saw you? And he said, yeah. And he said, it's been two years. And he said, there's going to be no change. And he said, you need to make a decision. And he said, God didn't give you a daughter to be raised by her, her grandmother and her sister and things like that. God gave you a daughter for you to raise. You need to make a decision concerning your future. I said, okay, I got home, uh, prayed about it. I felt the Lord release me. Um, I went to social security and I said, Hey, I said, I'm at the time I was 24 years old. And I said, I need, I said, I can't survive. I said, can you please help us figure out how we can pay all of this? Didn't work for two years, uh, made no money. I was at the time I was traveling as an evangelist, um, stopped traveling, made no money, no job, two years, depleted all of my savings, living off of credit cards, going into major debt. And uh, so go to Social Security and I say, I'm 24 years old. I need some help. What can we do? What do you do to give my wife medical care? And they looked at me and they said, they said, we will help you. But they said, we, you can, can't make any more than $700 a month for us to help you. And I said, I'm 24 years old and I'm well-abled. I'm, I'm a healthy person. I'm go- I want to make more than $700. And I said, I don't want to live off the system. And they said, well, there's nothing we can do. The only thing we can do is we could tell you to get a medical divorce. And I said, I don't understand it. And they said, you get a divorce, she'll become a ward of the state and we'll take care of her and take care of every medical bill and everything moving forward until the day she dies. Prayed about it, went home, talked to her parents, talked to my parents, felt a release, made the decision to get a divorce. Um, I just started refilling my schedule to speak and travel at churches again. And uh, the moment every church heard that I had got a divorce, every single one of them canceled on me. Every single one. But that man sitting right back there, my father-in-law. I wasn't even in, at that point in time, a relationship with their daughter. She was a friend, but they had me come and speak at their church. And, uh, but everybody else canceled on me. So these doctors, this doctor is tracing this back, and he said, that's the problem. He said, you never got healed from that. He said, you never had restoration. He said, you never mourned. He said, you didn't have a death. He said, she died, but you never had a death. And he said there was no healing, and he said you need to get healing. And then right after that, my church sent me to um, Dr. John Walker with Blessing Ranch in Tampa, Florida, who I recommend if, you get, if you're if you walking through something as a pastor or a leader and you need some health, some of the greatest um, advice I had. And he tra- he did the exact same thing, talked to me, said we're going to figure it out. I put it on the back shelf of what the psychiatrist in Springfield said and uh, went with an open mind to this doctor, he traced it back to the exact same thing and he said, that's the problem. And he said, we got to bring you health forward. Both of them looked at me and they said, you're 40 years old. They said, you're having a midlife crisis. And I said, I said, I don't need a blonde headed woman and a red car. I already got both of those. And uh, they said, no, not the kind of midlife crisis that makes you do crazy things. In your body, chemically, there's a midlife crisis happening and we need to bring you health. And so fast forward I'm in this depressive state. The doctor's tracing it back to this and said, you never got healing from that. He said, imagine your life like a piece of, like a big old pie. And he said, there's eight slices. Seven of the slices are healthy. He said, everything's great, but there's one slice. Your body's telling me, I haven't dealt with this yet. And he said, if you're gonna move forward in your ministry, in your marriage, as a human being, you've gotta deal with this slice. And so I started having to deal with that slice and I've been dealing with it for the past two and a half years trying to get healthy and trying to figure it all out. And that's what brings us to this room today. I'm extremely passionate about helping pastors and leaders get healthy. Because here's the deal. I don't want to see any of you walk through what I walk through. Because I'm telling you, it's the scariest place I ever found myself. What I walked through with my ex-wife, that was a horrible experience. I would never want to walk through that again. But the things I experienced with the depression and the dark cloud, it was the most demonic what I was facing when I was younger and my daughter was first born, that was physical. And I had no control over it. This was a demonic battle that I could not figure out. Come, we come to find out it wasn't really depression. It was really like an oppression that I was facing. And we dealt with that and we've been walking through that. And, and I find myself on the other side of it, a healthy person. But here's, what, here's the things I want to talk to you. each and every one of us in this room. We have a public life. Our public life is where, we're life, where our life is on display. It's where we, it's who we are at church. It's who we are around our family. It's who we are around our friends. It's about our appearance. It's about keeping up with everybody. It's about keeping up with the Joneses. But we also have a behind-the-scenes life. And while my doctors and I figured out was my behind-the-scenes life had some things in it that hadn't been fixed, some hurt and some pain that hadn't been Resolved and believe it or not, I believe the outside life and the inside life are connected and if we don't have both of them in unity, that's when we find ourselves sitting on train tracks ready to die when we don't have everything together. Here's, I want to give you the scripture. Jesus deals with this whole subject of this public life, Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 through 28, when he says this, from the message translation, you're hopeless, you religious scholars and Pharisees, you're frauds. He says, you burnish the surface of your cups and bowls, so they sparkle in the sun, while the insides are maggoty with greed and gluttony. Stupid Pharisee, listen, scour the inside, and then the gleaming surface will mean something. I opened up by telling you I'm concerned about the future of the church because we look good on the outside, but I'm concerned if we don't deal with leaders, if we don't deal with our health, we're going to find ourselves rotting. We're going to find ourselves broken. We're going to find ourselves in the place I found myself. Here's the deal. While many churches and many Christian organizations and pastors and leaders are more successful than ever before, I wonder what is this costing the soul of the leader? Psalm 42.5, David said, why are you discouraged, my soul? Why are you so restless? I feel this scripture paints a very accurate picture of where many of us are in the church. Discouraged, restless, unsettled. Maybe the outside looks good, but the inside is a mess. Because we know that maybe the inside isn't a mess, but things aren't exactly as we want them to be. Here's something I want you to write down. Here's the biggest nugget I can give you that I found through this. I'm going to lay some things out for you. I believe the key to the Christian life, the key to ministry, the key to being a healthy leader is found behind the scenes. It's not on the stage. It's not who I am right now. It's what I am when I'm in my hotel room by myself. It's who I am when I'm in my office. The key to the healthy soul is found outside of perfect view, of the public view. Can I tell you today, your soul is by far and away the most valuable possession you own. Your soul is the only thing that matters for eternity. And if you want your soul to be healthy, we have to tend to our souls. We have to be, listen to me, we have to be intentional about soul care. Here's the deal. You don't have to have a a healthy soul to be deemed a good Christian. My church had no clue that their pastor before he would stand up and preach a message, was holding a nine millimeter to his head. And I could stand up and preach a message and lives would be changed. I had people come to me after, after messages. I'm walking through this horrible depressive state. I mean, it's incredibly insane. But I'd preach a life-giving message on Sunday morning and lives are being changed. You don't have to have a healthy soul to be deemed healthy. You don't have to have a healthy soul for people to look at you and think you have it all together. But listen, that's not healthy. And this is not what God desires for us. There's a Latin phrase on an ancient coat of arms that I just absolutely love. And here's what it means. It means to be rather than to appear to be. And that phrase resonates in my heart because the truth is I don't want to just be deemed good. I don't want people to just look at me and say, man, he's healthy. I don't want people to just look at my life and say they have it all together, their church has it all together. I actually want to be healthy. I want to be holistically healthy, and I'm so passionate about this. And I believe, here's the key, I believe to be healthy, there can't be a gap between what we are and what we portray. There can't be a gap in our life, but many of us, for many of us in this room, the The outside, let me say it this way, the outside and the inside have to match, and if they don't match, if the outside and the inside don't match, if they don't line up, we're going to find ourselves living where I was with an unsettled soul. Let me see if this describes some of you always searching for something but never finding it. Inwardly, our minds are always racing. I know pastors and leaders, our minds race as much or more than anybody. We can't shut it down. We, We find rest for our bodies, But we never find rest for our souls we're anxious we're tense we're overwhelmed we're concerned we're worried our minds don't know how to shut it down and many of us even when we lay down to rest at night we sleep but we wake up the next morning just as exhausted our bodies are finding rest but our mind our soul does not find rest we're successful some of us have our church's names in lights. People brag about us. They talk about us. They talk about these ministries, but we're unsettled, and our families are a mess, and our hearts and our lives are a mess. This past summer, my wife and I, and, and we have four kids, an 18-year-old daughter, um, and uh, then we have three sons. We have a 14-year-old son, a 10-year-old son, and a 4-year-old son. He was the oops. He was uh, not planned. We wouldn't trade it for the world now, but he was the oops. My wife called me yesterday and said they were eating dinner, and uh, he had just finished his food, and she said, son, you need to take a drink, and he says, don't worry. I'm getting ready to take a drink. I got to flush all the calories out, but anyway, so he was our oops baby, but he keeps us. He keeps us alive and hopping, and uh, but anyway, we were, we were in Dallas Texas, I had just been um, in Houston doing some ministry there and we were coming back and we were going to stop at the Dallas Zoo. If you don't take anything from this session today, if you're sitting in here and you think this isn't applying to me, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that will change your life. Ready for this? Never go to the Dallas Zoo in July. It's hot. It's incredibly hot. It's an awful experience. I'm dying. I think I'm sweating to death, dying. And so we found ourselves in in a little room that was a little cooler and we were observing the ducks. And I just was sitting there looking at the ducks, and then something jumped out at me. On the top of the surface, the duck looks calm. And everything looks effortless, and everything looks still. But just below the surface of the water are that duck's feet. And they're kicking for everything they have just to keep that duck above water. And I think that's a perfect picture of where many of us are in the church. On the outside, everything looks good and everything looks healthy and everything looks calm and everything looks peaceful. But on the inside, man, we're doing everything we can just to keep afloat. We're doing everything we can just to stay alive. And we find ourselves living with unsettled souls. We're overwhelmed, we're anxious, we're fearful. We're insecure. We can't move forward. Many of us as leaders, we can't move forward. We we can't make decisions. Why? Because we're struggling. We're anxious. We're overwhelmed. That's where I was. I found myself leading a great church, unable to lead. I couldn't make decisions. Everything paralyzed me. Every thought, every question. I'm always, I'm usually pretty, pretty quick on the draw. I make a decision, I stick with it, when we move forward. But for the past few years, I'm just being honest with you. I struggled making decisions. I'm just not coming to the other side of that as a leader, where I can hear from the Lord and say this is the direction. But I would be making decisions, and I think no, nope, that's a horrible decision. Then I, would, I made some of the worst staff decisions I've ever made in the history of our church during this season because I wasn't I was the inside was a mess and I could not make decisions. I find Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 really strong and really interesting concerning health of our souls. He says this, "What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief, even at night." Everybody say it, say even at night. Listen at this, even at night his mind doesn't rest. I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves in this room that's it's full today but I know that walk in the halls of this church are other pastors and leaders that who have not owned up and said I'm unhealthy or who have not said man I want to make sure I stay healthy and we lay our heads on our pillows at night and our minds don't rest and I want to ask you guys, I'm not asking, I don't want anybody to raise their hand or anything like that, but ask yourself the question today, is my mind constantly racing? Am I able to find rest? Do I find it hard to breathe? Even when I'm just, I mean, I would be trying to hang out with my family and my mind is racing everywhere. I couldn't, I was just, everything was just dark and overwhelming. I couldn't, I couldn't just enjoy the moment. I couldn't enjoy my boy's sports. I couldn't enjoy anything. I couldn't enjoy moments with my wife. My brain was just racing. I could not find rest. And if that's you, maybe you say, man, that's me. I can't find rest. Rest, I just want to speak to you for just a few moments. This isn't the way that God wants us to live. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you hope, and I want to give you three things. There are so many more, but these are three things that I've discovered uh, for soul care, for health. And like I said, there's so many more, and we could take so long on this, but these are the three that I personally am wrestling with and working out. I've not figured it all out. I haven't figured it all out. This first one I'm even talking about, I haven't figured it all out. Still trying to nail it down. Um, Always trying to figure out how can I put this a part of my life. Um, But here's the first one. We have to develop a Sabbath heart. We read Sabbath in scripture, but I don't think we understand Sabbath. I think to have a healthy soul, we have to develop, listen to me, not a mentality concerning Sabbath. We have to develop a Sabbath heart. If our heart is not bent towards things called Sabbath, if our heart is not bent that way, just because we understand it intellectually, we're not going to figure out Sabbath. Our heart has to be bent towards. It. I I was just in Israel in February, and uh, one of the things I wanted to do when I was in Israel was observe Sabbath. I wanted to see How they do it. I wanted to figure it out. I mean, they have elevators that on Sabbath are called Shabbat elevators, that literally they do not do any work. They people walk up to the elevator and they stand there and they wait for the elevator to come to their floor and open because they can't do any work. I'm not talking about this place where we can't push a button, but I'm talking about where we need to come to the place in our hearts and in our minds where we understand what it means to rest. In January, I was speaking um, in Fort Lauderdale, and I took my 10-year-old son with me, and we were on the beach, and uh, these white boys needed some some color. We didn't put any sunscreen on. We both found ourselves sunburned, but anyway, but we were on the beach, and I noticed a Jewish couple walking on the beach, and I ran up to them, and I said, man, I don't want to bother you. I said, I know you're just probably just trying to enjoy your time in, in this beautiful place, but I said, I said, I noticed you're Jewish. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, one question. Can you tell me something about Sabbath? And both of their faces lit up. The, the, the wife, she married into that culture, and she said, Sabbath is the most beautiful thing we experience. She said, it is a place where we rest and celebrate and shut everything off for 24 hours. 24 hours Every single week, she said we shut it down, and literally we don't. She said we don't pick up our phones. She said we just hang out with our friends, and we celebrate, and we hang out with our kids, and we cook dinners. And so I'm in Israel, and I'm wanting to see how they do this. We're staying in a hotel, and on on during Sabbath, this hotel is packed with Jewish people that don't. They're not residing in the hotel, but they're literally coming there because number one, they, they're not cooking meals, so they're coming and they're eating at the hotel but they're just sitting there with 20 and 30 family members and friends, and they sat there for hours, and they just laughed. And I went through a Shabbat blessing with a Jewish person and prayed, and I just began to understand this culture of just slowing down and enjoying life. We have to develop a Sabbath heart. But I remember the first time I really started digging into Sabbath, I said these words, it's impossible for me. I remember, I, like it was yesterday, I read it as I was walking through this journey, and a friend's like, you've got to read this book, and it was a lot talking about Sabbath. And the big thing is, I said, it's impossible for me, and I said, it will never become reality for me. I said, I pastor a growing church with multiple campuses, I have four kids, I have a wife, I have friendships, I have relationships, I have my own desires, and I remember saying, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start, but better yet, I said, I don't know what to stop. I don't know what to give up. As pastors and leaders, we go home, and we're more connected than we've ever been. You can't shut this down. I mean, this becomes an addiction for us. Last night, in the middle of service, my phone died. I went into, like, a, a panic attack. I'm like, I don't have... My phone. What if somebody really important needs to text me? You know, I mean, the message is happening, but literally my brain is going into this panic mode for just a moment. We don't know what to stop. What do we give up? What do we say no to? What do we say yes to? Tony Blair, the former Prime prime Minister of Great Britain said this, the art of leadership was learning how to say no. We don't know how to say no. We don't know how to stop. People give us an opportunity and we say yes. My wife, we're we're walking through that and learning that. She said, coming to this conference, we were planning on it. She looked at me and she said, I'm not going. I have to say no to this because I have to take care of our kids. I have to learn how to say no. Here's the deal many of us know in this room, walking through the halls of this building today, we know that the pace we are keeping is insane. I was just talking to a good friend just before I came up here. Uh, we were talking about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. That's a bucket list for me. I want to climb that mountain. And uh, he said it's not about, uh, you know, like being really str- healthy. And I was like, well, that's good because I'm not that right now. He said it's about acclimating to the climate. But we were talking about it, and he said, man, he said, it was just we don't know how to slow down. He said, I want to climb more mountains and do more things. And he, said, I, he said, it's just, he said, I don't know how to stop. And so that's where so many of us are. We don't know how to stop, but we, we know that we can't keep up the pace, but we keep up the pace. We always keep saying, have you, as your family, ever said something like this, next week things are going to slow down? And then next week comes and it never slows down? And then you find yourself at 9 o'clock at night trying to have dinner? I don't know how many times my family is like, all right, We're gonna implement Monday nights as family night and nothing else is gonna be on the calendar and we're gonna do that and we're gonna have Sabbath as a family and then it's like the next Monday something rolls around. All right, we're gonna push it back to next week because we're just always busy. We don't know how to slow down, so we just forge ahead. Why? Because that's what life demands. That's what ministry demands. That's what we got to do to be successful. That's what we got to do to be on this person's stage. That's what we got to do to have people think we're doing something that's right or for have people think we're doing something that's good. But listen to me, the cost of that, the cost of being so successful, I believe is damaging to our souls. Let me tell you, not only is this whole mindset if there's no time to stop, no time to slow down, not only is it unbiblical, I believe it's unhealthy. And as a result, here's the deal. This is as I said. I could be the life of the party in the lobby at my church, and I was fine on stage on Sunday mornings. But inside, I had no joy. Inside, I had no peace. I had no hope. Literally, I remember... We were at the art conference in California a couple years ago and this was at the height of it and I went into one of those dark seasons right in the middle of our hotel room and I packed my bags in the middle of Los Angeles, California and I'm walking out the door and my wife's like, what, where are you going? And I said, I don't know. It was unhealthy. I said, I have no idea. She's, what are you going to do? I have no idea. I'm just leaving. Well, are you coming back? No. Well, how are you getting where you're going? I'm just going to walk down the street and drag my bag. Literally, I didn't even make sense the things I was saying and doing. My kids are watching there. My wife's crying. My Two of my youngest sons are in the room crying. They can't figure out what's going on. With Daddy, I see all of this. I know how crazy it all sounds coming out, but I literally can't stop it. She picks up the phone, calls that guy. He comes running down to my room, stands in the door. And says, You're not leaving. He says, You got to go through me. And I looked at him and I said words I don't typically use. And I said, Get the blank out of my way. And my wife called Pastor Rick Bazette and Dino. And they came and they took me out. And, like, Bro, we got to get you fixed. And it was them that looked at me and said, You've got to tell your staff what's going on. And they told me, They said, If you don't get help and if you don't go to a doctor, don't ever call us again. Because he said, if you're not going to do something to fix yourself, we're not going to waste our time sitting around dinner tables with you, with you just crying. Get some help. Get some help. Went and told my staff. Went and told my management team. Started this journey toward health. But this mindset of I can't stop, I can't slow down, it's not only unbiblical, it's completely unhealthy. We have little joy, we're irritable, we're depressed, we're argumentative, we're withdrawn. And in my opinion, this mindset that I can't stop, that I can't slow down is the undoing of not only the church, but I believe it's the undoing of our nation because it's the undoing of our families. And And sadly, I think many of us, We talk about this. We know we can't stay on the path we're on. We know we need to make some serious changes, but we don't know where to start. Here's the deal I'm giving you a place to start. You need to figure out how to have a Sabbath heart. You need to figure out how to slow down. You need to figure out where you can say no. You need to figure out how to rest. We're too busy. And this concerns me deeply, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid if we don't figure this out in the church, and if we don't have some very honest and real conversations, and this ARC conference has been amazing, and there's been some honest and real conversations from the stage. And that's one of the things I love about the ARC, is just the authenticity of the leadership and the guys that they have to communicate. But I'm afraid if we don't figure it out, because here's the deal, the majority of us in this room, we're never going to be on that stage. If we don't figure it out at our level, if we don't figure it out in our churches, I'm afraid the church is headed for a crash. I'm afraid the future looks bleak and I know some people say, well, Sabbath is outdated, or it's unnecessary, or maybe it's a pipe dream, but I truly believe that Sabbath is not only necessary, but I believe if we were truly bent with a heart toward Sabbath, toward rest, toward healthy, sustainable rhythms, I believe it would make a major difference in our everyday lives, and I believe it would make a major difference in our church. 2016, as we're walking through this, the Lord, at the end of that year, began to speak to me. He said, Chad, he said, I want you to create a church. That's all about health. When people walk in, they just breathe. And he said, imagine it like when you've gone to a massage or a place like that or a spa, how you feel when you leave. He says, That's what I want the church to be. And he says, if you'll create a healthy church, he said, it'll grow. Why? Because healthy things grow. Listen, we're trying to grow all of this in our own strength and our own abilities. And we're unhealthy while we're trying to do it. Healthy things grow. Psalm 62, David's speaking not, not to Sabbath, but I, th- I think speaking to the heart of Sabbath. Psalm 62, 1, David says this, our soul finds rest in God alone. No person, no thing, no experience, no amount of money can bring rest to our souls. Again, Jesus here, Matthew 11:28 through 29, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Jesus not speaking to Sabbath, but I think speaking to the heart of Sabbath said this, "Come to me all you are weary and heavy burdened." This is some of you in this room. You're weary and you're burdened. You're tired. I was weary and burdened and I and I had no I didn't know why. I didn't really know fully what was going on. But it's, we, I wasn't just weary in my body. I was weary in my soul, and it's different. I was weary mentally and emotionally. But it says, come to me all oh, you're weary and burdened. Jesus says this. The author and the finish of our faith says this. The creator of the world tells us this. Come to him. He doesn't say come to your pastor. He doesn't say come to your chiropractor. He doesn't say come to your psychiatrist. All of those things, I believe, are necessary, and they help us. But Jesus says, come to me. He says, don't run to a cemetery with a gun in your hands. Don't run to a railroad track sitting in your Jeep waiting for a train to come. He says, don't run into the arms of somebody else. Don't try to find hope somewhere else. He said, come to me. Come to me. And he says, and I will give you rest. You don't understand Sabbath? It's rest. I think it's biblical. I think it's God honoring. We have to find rest and we find rest in God. Jesus says if we'll come to him and if we'll get the insight right, we will find rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen, the yoke and the burden that many of us carry is heavy. Why? Because we're trying to carry it. But he says his burden is light, it's not heavy. He says, if you'll come to me, I'll carry it and you'll find rest. But listen, he doesn't say you'll find rest for your bodies. I, I've read this verse so many times, but it's in the last two years I've discovered it. There's nowhere in it that he says you'll find rest for your bodies. We do that when we lay our head on our pillow at night. But he says to us, come to him and he'll give you rest for your what? Rest for our souls. So the first way I think that we find Health and rest for our unsettled soul is to develop a Sabbath heart. The second one is this, be still and know that he is God. Like I said, these are things I've discovered. Be still and know that he is God. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Now, one of the things I'm trying to do is fully dive into Scripture and understand what Scripture means and places where I think we've misinterpreted I think this is one of those verses maybe we've misinterpreted a little bit because it doesn't really mean be still, like be quiet. What it means, the actual Hebrew meaning of it is stop fighting. Stop wrestling. Stop all the frantic activity. How many of you find yourselves involved in some frantic activities? How many of you ever find yourselves wrestling? Wrestling? How many of you ever find yourselves fighting and struggling? He says, stop fighting and know that I'm God. I think it's important that we get quiet before the Lord. I think some of us talk too much. I think, it's, I think it's okay to be quiet and just to sit in the presence of the Lord. But I don't think that Psalm 4610, I don't think that's what he's referring to here. For me, saying, Chad, stop wrestling and trying to fix the problem. In conversations with Tasha multiple times, she'll come to me. I'm like, I'm like probably like any normal guy. I want to fix the problem. She's told me on multiple occasions, I don't need you to be my pastor right now. I don't need you to fix this right now. I don't even need an answer. I don't even need a response. I just need you to listen. My brain is wired to fix things. Now, mechanically, I'm inept. I can't fix anything. I can't build anything. I try to build things, and it's crooked, and I cut something else, and it becomes even more. It's just I I can't do that. I don't have that gift. But I want to fix problems, and I want to give answers. And if there's a problem that I'm struggling with in the church or in my marriage or in my family or in my kids, I want to figure it out. I want to wrestle with it. I want to put my list of things together and weigh it out on the scales and say, all right, this is the right decision to make. I wrestle with it. There's things we face as a church, and I find myself wrestling with it. And I feel like the Lord sometimes, he's just like, go ahead. When you can stop fighting, then I can step in and fix the issue. When you can learn to rest, then I can step in and fix this. The first thing we've got to do is we've got to learn how to have a Sabbath heart. But the second thing, I think we've got to learn how to stop fighting. I believe it's only after we've stopped fighting, only after we drop the weapons, that we truly find peace. Notice the psalmist didn't say, be busy and know that I'm God. Notice the psalmist didn't say preach a lot of messages and know that he's God. Build a big church and know that he's God. Notice the psalmist didn't say be frantic, be worked up, be overwhelmed, be anxious, be stressed out, be insecure. He didn't say any of those things. He said be still and know that I am God. I know that the reason I walked through the valley of the shadow of death like I did is because I didn't have a Sabbath heart and I didn't know how to stop and to be still. I didn't know how to stop wrestling. I didn't know how to stop fighting. I believe the reason many of us as believers and as leaders are unhealthy is because we don't know how to stop fighting. We faced we, we faced an issue in, in our church during this whole time that I'm walking through we we our our church our main campus is uh, right in the middle of a subdivision, and we're in a warehouse that wasn't meant to be a church. started off renting it, we bought it. We're surrounded by homes, so we have four neighbors who do not like us and uh probably like a lot of your churches, we have more people than we have parking, and uh, we have people parking in streets and sometimes maybe they touch their grass and and then the noise gets a little loud sometimes coming out of our church and People are walking around, and so they started calling the police on us, and the police started showing up and threatening tickets and threatening arrest and all this stuff. Well, through all of this, I, looking back, I never one time took it to God in prayer. I just wrestled with it. I stressed over it called attorneys thought what are they going to do if they come in and shut our church down i'm sitting here saying i'm ready to be a martyr you know i'm ready to be put in chains make sure if i get put in handcuffs you video this you know i'm wrestling with it trying to figure out the own solution i really feel strong some of you some of you are walking through something right now and it's causing you to be unhealthy in your soul i just want to tell you stop fighting Stop wrestling with the thing that is standing in front of you and get your eyes off the problem. Psalm says, David said this, stop magnifying the problem and magnify the Lord. Stop wrestling around. Be still and know that you know that you know that you know that God is on the throne and God can take care of your problems. I believe the reason we struggle with being still and knowing God is because honestly, we have faith on Sunday morning, but we don't have faith on the inside of us. We don't trust God. Listen, we find peace and we find rest when we stop wrestling and stop trying to fix the problem ourselves. And the third thing, like I said, there's so many more of these that I'm walking through personally and afterwards if I can help you in any way, I'd love to help you and and uh and be a part of your life in any way I can cuz I just want to see people be healthy. Um, there's a great guy sitting in the back row back there, uh, Chip Judd from Seacoast Church in South Carolina, who I've built a great relationship with and helping our staff to find health and things like that. Just listen, there are, there are people in this movement and there are people around you that'll do what they can to help you stay healthy because the kingdom of God needs every one of you. We need you in the fight because if you don't stop fighting, you're going to lose. Listen, if you don't stop wrestling with all of this, and if you don't start trusting in the Lord, you're going to crash. I thank the Lord I didn't commit suicide. But you could possibly not have my story of redemption. Somebody could look over you and say, man, what could have been if you don't slow down and stop? The third thing here, before I close, and we'll take any questions if you have any, is found in Psalms 37.7. Again, it says, be still before the Lord. But here's the key right here. Wait patiently for him. What does it mean to wait patiently for the Lord? Any of you in this room, like me, patience is not one of my virtues. If if patience is not one of your virtues, raise your hand. I'm not a patient man. Um, I ask the Lord for patience. It took too long. I stopped praying for it. You know, I mean, it's just like I, I don't have time for this anymore. But waiting on the Lord requires two key things. Number one, complete dependence on God. Waiting on the Lord requires complete dependence on God. Number two, listen to this, here's the big one. A willingness to allow God to decide the terms, including the timing of the plan. Let me say it again. Waiting on the Lord requires two things. Number one, complete dependence on God. And number two, a willingness to allow God to decide the terms, including the timing of the plan. I think God's late all the time. That's my opinion. But he's never late, right? Trust God and allow him to determine the timing. Can I tell you, from 2015, when I turned 40, to 2016, I went through one of the greatest trials of my life, and it was horrible. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But I've come to realize... The number one reason outside of, let me say this, a secondary reason that I discovered, and um, th- th- this, write this down, and this could be a whole other point, but write this down. I, outside of the fact of not knowing how to stop and wait, I lost my personal devotion with the Lord. The outside was good, my public ministry was good, preaching good messages, but only the only time I studied to spend any time with the Lord is to, for public delivery. I stopped spending time with the Lord for Chad Blancett to feed my soul. So I believe the two reasons why I, I walked through what I walked through is I didn't. I lost sight of my relationship with God personally. But I didn't know how to stop and wait. And I'm not a fan of stopping. I'm not a fan of waiting. I've never, I, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to slow down. I eat fast, I drive fast, people make fun of me. My in-laws, when we travel somewhere, if they're following me, I, I forget people are following me and I leave and I'm like, crap, I left them. I, I said that on there. But anyway, I, I, I forget people are there. I eat fast, I get done, and, every, and you know my whole family's like, just got two bites down and I'm like, clean plate, you know? I find myself walking through the mall with my kids and I take big steps and I walk fast and my four-year-old's just like, you know, I don't just know how to stop. I don't know how to slow down. I don't know how to just enjoy life and enjoy the moment. I don't know how to love life. I don't know how to smell the roses. I'm always thinking about the next project, the next big thing. I can't even stop and be content in the season that we're in. I can't stop and celebrate Easter and all the lives that were changed because I'm worried about next Sunday. I'm worried about this next thing. I don't know how to stop and wait. It's not a strength of mine. I don't know how to slow down. I'm wrestling through it. I'm giving you things that I'm learning as, I, as we're here today. I'm walking through it, but I, I want to give you some steps. Maybe one of you guys will come up with a solution and you can help me. But I'm trying to figure it all out. But We have to have a Sabbath heart. We have to be still and we have to wait. And I leave you with this thought. God can take care of your world Let me say it this way. God can take care of your ministry while you stop to take care of your soul. If you don't catch anything else, I tell you today, God can take care of your ministry while you stop to take care of your soul. Because here's the deal. What's it profit a man? If we're the number one church on Outreach Magazine, We lose our soul. What good is that? What good does it do if we win the world, but yet we lose? Another translation says, What's it profit a man if he gains the world, but he loses his own life? We're successful on the outside, but on the inside, we're dying. We're successfully dying. All right, let's pray. Can we pray a minute? Father, thank you for allowing us to have a real conversation. I pray in these next few moments, if there's any questions or anything, you just speak, God. But I pray that the word spoken today minister to our hearts. I pray that it brings somebody hope that maybe came into this room discouraged. I pray that it shines a light on a situation. We thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for his time. In your name we pray,
0: amen. Amen. Don't you appreciate his honesty, man? Come on. Thanks. Tell you. All right. If you we've got a we've got a couple of minutes, and if you got a question, just hold it. I want you to ask it because they're recording all of this. Yes, ma'am. Tell us who you are and then ask Chad your question. Okay,
2: awesome. My name is Bria Gilmore and from Bay Chapel in Tampa, Florida. And um, my question is you spoke just a little bit to it, but can you talk more about what this um, just Sabbath and rest kind of looks like as far as the staff goes, and how you, I mean, are there guardrails that you guys set yeah. to um, just maintain the, yeah. the
0: healthiness?
1: Yeah, I can speak to that real quick. And like I said, we haven't, fe- we're still processing this as a family, um, but we're trying to, my wife and I to, together, she works in ministry with me at the church. We take every Monday off together, um, and we make sure that we honor our day off. Um, there's, there's seasons. Here's the deal. I try to never work on Mondays, but Easter week, you might be working on a Monday. You know what I mean? There are seasons. I I, I try to explain it this way. Many of us live, think of an airplane. An airplane, when it's kind of, at certain times it has to fly above a storm, and it might get to forty or 50,000 feet in the air, but it, the airplane does better when it's living kind of at 35,000 feet in the air. When it's 40-50, it might be redlining a little bit, right? Well... We need to stay down here. We need to stay at a little lower level. But there's seasons when we have to redline. But then we have to find a cruising altitude where we can live at. So my wife and I, we take Mondays off together. Uh, One of the things I've done for my entire staff is all my staff gets a day off a week. But another thing we've put in place, and um, I can't remember, uh, one of my pastor friends, it was... Pastor Alex Anderson from Bayside, he said they give all of their staff a rejuvenation day. And so once a month, all my staff gets a, a rejuvenation day that does not count towards their day off, does not count towards their vacation time, and they get a day... But it's not just to go and like do laundry. It's it's like a day to rejuvenate their soul, and they go out in the woods, they go do something, they spend time, and then they write me just a paragraph on what God spoke to them on their rejuvenation day, just to get a moment alone with Him. Um, We really try to encourage our entire staff to honor Sabbath. Um, We're working even through some things we're going to have once a month, because I know that all the people in my church are not going to honor Sabbath every week. So I'm just trying to get the people in my church to honor Sabbath once a month. And Sabbath is not Sunday morning church. That's completely, I mean, that's how we've always thought it, honor the Sabbath. Well, that means go to church. I think it's something completely different, you know. So I'm just trying to get my staff to honor Sabbath once a month for 12 hours a day where they turn their phone off and they just focus on family and friends and have friends over. And uh, so so we're working through some things like that with our staff on how
0: to figure that out. But now, Another question. Yes, ma'am, just a second.
2: So I'm sure many of us here are employees of the church, involved in the church, whether we're volunteers, but how can we, the church, the people that are on the inside, do a better job of helping our staff members, our pastors, when they are transparent about their struggles? Because I feel like we do pray for you. We do honor those who are... You know, a position above us. But I think so many times, I don't think it's so much the staff members, but I think it's the body of Christ that comes in on Sunday to worship. They forget that you're human beings too. How can we do a better job of helping you?
1: Uh, I can speak to that. Scott might even be able to speak to that a little bit as a pastor himself. But, I mean, I think just understanding that and then honoring that. And then if you know that your pastor's day off. Because here's the deal. you, So many people in my church know my phone number. Um, I got a text the other day on my day off from somebody. I had no clue who they were. Somebody in the church gave somebody my phone number, you know, and I'm like, don't give your pastor's phone number out. If he doesn't get permission, that's one way you can honor that, Um, you know, on their day off, honor that day off. You know, we tell our staff on rejuvenation days, even specifically, you know, my assistant will send out, Hey, it's pastor Scott's rejuvenation day today. Do not text him do not reach out to him unless it's an emergency. And I think if the body can even begin to understand that a little bit, hey, this is my pastor's day off, so he can refresh his soul for me. He's refreshing it for himself, but when my pastor's healthy, then he's going to deliver me a healthy word. I think, I, I think okay, I can wait to get a hold of my pastor or reach out to his assistant or reach out to somebody else. I think those are things. That just kind of honor and know, know your pastor, but then... Scott has this Uh, we've given Chip some rights in my life my wife has this I have another executive pastor and then Pastor Alex from Bayside they know they they can see my schedule at any point in time and they can tell me stop and that man back there he does that to me he'll be like this is one of the things you've asked me to be in your life and you're not doing what you've asked me to hold you accountable to and so you need to have people in your life that hold you accountable to those things. If not, if not, if I don't have people holding me accountable, I'll just I'll run twenty four hours
0: a day, seven days a week. You know the the thing that that um, just came to mind is is as as staff. Just remember that your your pastors are they're just people too, so the so you need to and I know you do, but have your own relationship with God. In other words, don't don't look to them for everything. Just look for the, to them for maybe leadership, but you got to look to God for. For the stuff that you need personally, you know, look to God for that. Okay, we've got time for one more question. Does anybody else got a question? Going once. <laughs> yeah, hold for a second. Make a comment in the microphone. This is Chip.
2: Hey, how y'all doing? Um, coming to me, all you labored, heavy laden, now give you rest, right? A thing I've learned is this, rest is not the absence of activity. Rest is an inner place of peacefulness in the midst of activity. Um, I think the whole, did you get your Sabbath this week is just crap. Um, what I mean, and that's, and I don't mean that contrary to what Chad's saying, it, it's not did you take a day off. It's It's are you figuring out how to disconnect... The word literally means intermission. It's like in the old days, they had movie reels, and they'd, they'd get to the end of one reel, and have an intermission while they loaded the next reel. So a Sabbath is taking a break from the pressures of life. And I believe, post-Calvary, Sabbath is, a, is an attitude of heart. It's a posture of heart and mind. And I believe, I believe in what I call a Sabbath lifestyle, Um, and I believe every day can have moments of Sabbath and I believe we can take Sabbath with us if that makes sense. So, uh, but not if you live the way everybody else is living.
1: That's why, that's why I said Sabbath heart. You have to develop a Sabbath heart because if all it is is just, uh, let me, let me just add, if all, if all Sabbath is, is another to do on your list, it's not a Sabbath. It's got to be a Sabbath heart. Your heart has got to be bent towards rest. Your heart has got to be bent towards intermission. Your heart has got to be bent towards slowing down. I'm disconnecting. You know, for me, my wife and I, along with their in laws, we own a little place on the lake about 45 minutes from us. One of the things I love to do on my day off during spring and summer, I absolutely love, I drive up there. It's a 45 minute drive. I love to mow the yard. I drive up there, I mow the yard. Mess around in the yard for a few minutes. I walk down the lake. I see what's happening. But but I'm disconnected. Up there at my lake house, the phone does not work. There's no reception. I can't take anybody's phone calls. It is, for me, a moment of just... I'm going to do something that's not what, I'm not sitting at a desk, I'm not writing a sermon, I'm not counseling somebody, I'm not ticked off at one of my staff members, you know, I'm just enjoying life in this moment, disconnected, so that's true, just Sabbath is disconnecting, it's about your heart, if it's a to-do, you will not get Sabbath and you will not be healthy, because it's
0: just another thing on your list, another thing on your agenda, all right? All right, guys, that brings us to the end of our session for today. So thank you guys all for coming, and uh, and have a great rest of the conference.